welcome everyone <clears throat> and an ongoing Happy New Year. It's wonderful to be back. Uh, I've missed having this way of connecting. And in doing so, I also have um, a, a deepening of what was already an immense appreciation, a deep gratitude for you, for your presence and for our practice together, uh, for just showing up uh, for the good of both your own heart and mind, but also the hearts and minds of everyone else who joins us. and. Uh, all of us doing this for the benefit of the world, which seems to need uh, a good bit of help these days. So thank you. Thank you so much. And with that bit of, um, of gratitude and reconnection, uh, let's sit for a few minutes together. As we settle into these um, initial moments together, I hope that you can appreciate what a radically courageous thing it is to simply sit in Zazen. to stop and to be still and silent and present and upright to bring ourselves fully to the moment without doing something about it at this moment without getting busy in an external way or internally striving 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 for something not turning anything away, regarding everything fully, but without reactivity, and not as a way to be passive, but to look deeply, to listen carefully, to feel fully into the moment, so that as we go about our day, we can do so with more wisdom and compassion. So it takes a kind of courage to simply sit.
our shared sitting and the beginning of our time at inquiry is very short. But I hope that you can appreciate its importance and what it opens us to and what it invites us toward. And as you hear the resonance of the bell in a moment to signal the end of this brief period of sitting together, and then as you hear my voice and your own voice joined together, in our initial chant, I hope that you can feel them, the vastness of this small ceremony invokes and reminds us of. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. <clears throat> It's so wonderful to chant the verse of the robe at the end of our sitting uh, to help us remember that we're wrapping ourselves into and wrapping everyone with this formless field of benefaction, this goodness, um, essentially this love and care and the full reality of each moment unfolding. Vast is that robe of liberation, that freedom is what we're, we rest in. And it's a, a field of beneficence or goodness that we realize and express through our body, which is in the service of all being. <clears throat> Many of you are probably uh, aware of and have chanted many times, maybe even studied uh, the Heart Sutra. It's the most common piece, more than likely, that is chanted among all the, the Buddhist traditions, certainly the Mahayana traditions. I've always said that <clears throat> anytime you chant the Heart Sutra, you can be assured that there is someone somewhere on the globe in some time zone, chanting the Heart Sutra with you, more than likely. And I'm not going to do um, a teaching on the Heart Sutra per se, or go through the whole thing. But what I did want you to reflect on today, as we launch into our inquiry times for this new year, is this uh, universal... Uh, teaching has a, a piece that I want to speak to, and it has to do with fear and fearlessness. Because obviously this is something that we're immersed in in the moment from many different directions. Um, fear and the kind of, uh, often the word fearlessness is used um, as an expression of what it means to, to awaken and face the world in a different way. 
Uh, so I thought it might be worth exploring. And in the, the Heart Sutra, if you're not familiar with its um, form in the beginning, it says that Avalokiteshvara, who is the Bodhisattva of Compassion, uh, in China you you see the figure of Kuan Yin, which is an expression of that Sanskrit word. Or in Japan, Kanan or Kanzeon, they're all the same Bodhisattva of Compassion. But in the Heart Sutra, it says that Avalokiteshvara is deeply practicing, just like we invite ourselves to do together, and is realizing the, the truth of the matter around, about emptiness and form. And Avalokiteshvara begins to speak to Shariputra, who is uh, one of the Buddha's primary disciples that really understands the Dharma deeply. And this is an interesting situation where it's not Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of wisdom, who is speaking about prajna paramita or, or wisdom, ultimate wisdom. It's the Bodhisattva of compassion. And the, the heart-centered Bodhisattva is speaking to the intellectual teacher, Shariputra. It seems to be uh, a turn that's different, and hence the Heart Sutra. And Avalokiteshvara is practicing Prajnaparamita, which is a wisdom beyond wisdom. It's a way of taking ourselves and this is what our spiritual practice and what Zen is about, is taking ourselves beyond knowledge, certainly, but even beyond ordinary wisdom. I'm going to quote now just two lines. The one I want to focus on, which has to do with fear, from a very traditional translation that we use in English um, from the San Francisco Zen Center, and then another translation we also use, and as an alternative at times, from John Halifax, and uh, Kaz Tanahashi. Here's the first translation of just these two lines. With nothing to attain, a bodhisattva relies on prajna paramita. And remember, if you don't understand, that word means uh, the ultimate perfection of wisdom, or the wisdom beyond wisdom. With nothing to attain, a bodhisattva relies on prajna paramita, and thus the mind is without hindrance. Without hindrance, there is no fear. Far beyond all inverted views, one realizes nirvana. Here's the second translation. Being free of attainment, those who help all to awaken abide in the realization of wisdom beyond wisdom and live with an unhindered mind Without hindrance, the mind has no fear. Free from confusion, those who lead all to liberation embody profound serenity. With nothing to attain, and at first, with nothing to attain, there's nothing to attain, as I said earlier. The Bodhisattva relies, rests on, has confidence in, has faith in this wisdom that's beyond wisdom. And relying on that, the mind is without hindrance. It's not blocked, caught. And without that hindrance, there's no fear. Far beyond inverted views, far beyond understanding things in the wrong way. In other words, seeing things as truth. One realizes nirvana or freedom from, from dukkha, or from the unnecessary suffering at least. In the second translation, being free of attainment, when one sets down the need to attain and to strive in spiritual practice to achieve something. Those who help all to awaken, that's a bodhisattva, in the realization of wisdom beyond wisdom, live with an unhindered mind. And without this hindrance, the mind has no fear. And free from confusion, those who lead all to liberation, or bodhisattvas, embody profound serenity. So just these pieces um, from the, 
the Heart Sutra, I think, are quite beautiful and encouraging in, in the time in which we're caught in tugs and pulls and striving, and which we are surrounded by fear, uh, minds that are hindered by so many different things, and when where we don't really live with a profound serenity these days. So these are worth looking at, fear and fearlessness. And Avalokiteshvara, speaking for the Buddha to Shariputra, is telling us what's required to not live caught by fear with an unhindered mind, relying on a wisdom that's beyond wisdom. So we experience fear often as several things. First, a bodily response, the kind of arousal, which is adaptive and life-saving. The kind of arousal my body fears, feels, fears, when I'm, for example, uh, I'm fortunate in the past to travel and to travel to the UK. And I can remember being there the first times and stepping off the curb, my body not realizing remembering the cars are coming a different way and the bodily arousal, the fear as a car heads for me in a lane that I thought I shouldn't be in. So it's adaptive and life-saving, this arousal. But our bodies in that same arousal can hold trauma and replay terrifying realities is that they were actually happening right now. So fear can be a bodily response. Fear can be an emotion that alerts us and directs our attention. Something is frightening, potentially dangerous. So again, it's protective and a signal that something is off and may, we might want to look deeper. I see this primary uh, bodily arousal and emotion, for example, yesterday as a deer approached our back fence and just stood alert with some arousal, looking deeper. There's something amiss. There are people over there that might be dangerous, but we feel the same thing. Fear is a bodily response. It's an emotion. And ultimately, it becomes a stance toward life. How we're shaped by our experience over time in our body, in our mind, in our hearts. And this way in which we're shaped, where life becomes a fearful endeavor, it begins to erode our confidence and faith in life. And I think that erosion and that arousal in our body, that alert mind and heart, if it becomes a way of living, is why sometimes we look to our practice to help us experience fearlessness instead of so much fear. And how do we have faith in Prajnaparamita, the wisdom beyond wisdom, through our practice, so that our mind is free of hindrance, so that we're not run by fear. And there's one last piece to this from sort of the personal psychological basis. We have the bodily responses, emotions, a stance towards life, and this the mixture of anxiety and rage ends up being an antidote to directly experienced fear. And we see this around us. If people are afraid, terrified, they sometimes act scary and others become afraid as if they can offload their vulnerability, which is so terrifying. Their views are inverted, inverted views. Rather than moving towards an intimacy with what needs to be attended to, they do things to protect themselves from that vulnerability they can't tolerate. And so an existential constant anxiety in the background or rage against the helplessness. So vulnerability is the key to freedom if your mind is without hindrance. But vulnerability is terrifying if your views are inverted. 
if your views are inverted, if you don't understand things, if you're not looking at the truth, then vulnerability is terrifying. Vulnerability is the key to freedom if your mind is without hindrance. This is what the Heart Sutra is telling us. So fearlessness that we read about and see in various sages and Zen masters does not mean um, bold and undaunted. I'm not afraid of anything. That's not fearlessness. That's being foolish, not free. Putting up uh, an armor, taking on a position, separating oneself. This, these are all inverted views. That's foolishness, not freedom. But learning to move your body so it can become fully alive, not holding to trauma. Freeing your mind of all narratives and beliefs that we can cling to. Releasing your heart's contractions and softening the barriers to care are all part of our practice. So that we can not be afraid of fear. So that the freedom comes from the tyranny of fear. We're going to feel afraid at times. That's natural. That's part of being alive. But the tyranny of fear, because of inverted views, because of not seeing clearly, because of confusion, because of not understanding wisdom beyond wisdom. So we sit and we take this courageous step because this kind of vulnerability is the key to freedom and the key to a mind without hindrance so that we can shift from vulnerability being terrifying if our views are inverted. We realize that there's nothing to protect. And this is the freedom we realize through emptiness. Emptiness of separation. What we're empty of is independence. What we're full of is connectedness. This vast robe of liberation which surrounds us and holds us together. And if we're committed to self-responsibility and self-care, and we're committed to empathy and compassion and care for others, all offer a kind of non-egocentric confidence over time. Not the arrogant confidence, I'm not afraid of anything. A non-egocentric confidence that is basically a willingness to meet life as it is. So we sit down in stillness and silence. As we did earlier, and Zazen shows that, that nothing is as we think it is. Sitting still shows us all the ways we try to wiggle out of the present moment. Silence allows us to hear the voices which we might otherwise miss, which are guiding and shape our, our reactions to life all the time in the background. So we stop the striving and meet what is here. Remember the line from the Heart Sutra, with nothing to attain or being free from attainment, we set down all of our ideas that Zazen is going to be a new coping strategy which will make us more relaxed, happier, free of this and that. We let go of all attainment. And being free of attainment, we can meet what's here, including our fear, so that we're not run by our tyranny of fear. But this move, this turn, this way is somewhat surprising and bewildering. It's, it's not ordinary. Because we can't, we realize we can't grasp or control what's happening. Which is really our greatest fear. This is the deepest vulnerability. But if we stay with it, and stay with it with others, and stay with it with our friends and our teachers, we find that relinquishment and surrender of all these ways we attempt to hold everything together are also not what we thought they were. 
Relinquishment and surrender aren't helplessness or passivity. It's a profound plunging into each moment with the deep appreciation that we're not in control, even though we're being asked to be totally responsible and in charge of our lives. What you're free of is the kind of hindrance that comes with self-clinging. And this is the next phrase in our sentences from the Heart Sutra. A bodhisattva relies on prajnaparamita, and thus the mind is without hindrance. We don't rely on our conditioning, our old narratives, what we've been told, the lies that we use to construct reality. We rely on prajnaparamita, we rely on wisdom, the wisdom that's even beyond wisdom, the mystery, the truth. And thus the mind is without hindrance. And the other translation, those who help all to awaken. And that's, that's our vow. Those of us who help all to awaken abide in the realization of wisdom beyond wisdom and live with an unhindered mind. So we sit in this courageous way, letting go of attainment, we find that it's a bit surprising that our vulnerability is the source of freedom, not the thing to be so frightened of. And then third, ultimately realizing that the groundlessness of this wisdom beyond wisdom is the gateway to the freedom that we've actually been seeking. There aren't any false assurances, no consoling storylines, no heroics um, that are rewarded by some sort of dominance over reality. And that's the usual narrative. If we can dominate reality, then we might not be afraid. But that's actually what causes our fear. And the realization that there's no way out of or around life that is being brought to us. Our only way is through it and with each wave as it comes. This is the gateway to the freedom that we've been seeking. To understand, to rest in, to take comfort in, to take refuge in the wisdom that's beyond ordinary wisdom. And those further lines in the little bit of the Heart Sutra we're focusing on, without hindrance there is no fear. Far beyond all inverted views, one realizes nirvana, one realizes freedom. And the other translation, without hindrance, the mind has no fear, free from confusion. Those who lead all to liberation embody profound serenity. <clears throat> without hindrance, without being caught, without relying on things that aren't true, one can relax and release the stories that are creating our suffering and have some confidence in quite a different way, free from hindrance, without hindrance, free from confusion. What is made available to us is a form of true courage, which I spoke about from the beginning. Spiritual courage. And this, the courage is to tolerate the wisdom beyond wisdom, to tolerate the inconceivable, to tolerate the awe, to tolerate in the old ways we would think about to, to look into the face of God, to look into um, what we don't understand. This isn't a physical courage to fight. This is not even a mental courage to argue and clarify and dominate in that way. It's not even some emotional courage to be strong in the face of threat. This is not merely resilience. This is beyond resilience, which is wonderful, but that's not spiritual practice. You might say this is resilience beyond resilience. This is wisdom beyond wisdom. 
This is living with an unhindered mind, not based on inverted views, but realizing the truth. And we do that by facing our fear. And finding a way to step beyond our vulnerability as a barrier and seeing it as the entryway. <clears throat> One last story. I went to see my teacher Blanche for a practice discussion once during a long session, a long retreat. And I said something about fearlessness. And she rose up on her cushion and she said, don't put the idea of fearlessness on me. If you want to apply it to those who are gone, Suzuki Roshi or someone else, you can. But, And I was surprised by her response. But I think what she was doing is saying, don't create an inverted view that I have something you don't have, that I'm different than you. But together, we can open ourselves to this wisdom beyond wisdom this resilience beyond resilience. And that's how our spiritual practice helps us understand and meet fear in a way that's different than just psychological work, but includes it. So let's meet in this way now, all of us. If you want to raise your hand, please do so. And we'll, we'll see how we meet. Is it Nelda you're hearing? I see Nelda and I hear her. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see you too. And what a great segue um, you provided for, for my question when you ended with the story of your beloved teacher, Blanche. Mm -hmm. um, and here's my question. Mm -hmm. How do we feed your heart? and our beloved teachers' hearts. There are so many teachers at Appamata who are not only my mentors and my spiritual family, but my friends. Mm -hmm. and, and we are all mere mortals. And we all hurt and face fear and disappointment and um, discouragement. And sometimes I feel so ill-equipped with words or even practice to bring an expansiveness to someone who seems so much wiser and studied than I am. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking for help. Your question really does echo the question that I was asking Blanche about fearlessness. Mm. Because in your wholehearted, beautiful, caring, devotional orientation, there's a little trip that you've taken and stumbled mm -hmm. into a ditch, which is that um, you feel a bit of separation, like they have something you don't have. You did say we're all human. You said we're actually all the same. And then you kind of said, but not exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, I asked Blanche one time, what can I give you? I don't know. I don't know what to give you. She said, offer me your practice. Take what I've given you. That's the biggest gift you could give back to me, is to receive what I've offered in practice. We are, you're very, very kind. Obviously, you're being kind right now and expressing your kindness. I can see it in you. And I think it'd be good maybe to talk about devotional practice pretty soon. I think that's a good thing for us to talk about. Um, but there's no special... Uh, external gift. There's no uh, special ceremonies. All those things are nice, and we do nice things for each other sometimes, have parties or things that honor each other. But you're showing up and asking a question and meeting me once I've poured out my heart, and you come back and say, I heard you. That's the most nourishing thing I could receive. Um, because I, I remember that we're together, and I remember I'm not alone. You remember you're not alone. And whether you do that with me or a Peg or, you know, Joel or Lori or Todd or just anyone, um, 
and then, you know, Josh and Suzanne, all the teachers, and every one of your friends. Remember, it's the, the connection, the realizing that we're in this mystery together is the, the greatest gift. It's a non, that's the non-egocentric kind of courage that brings us together. So am, am I responding to your question? Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll share your gift back at you. Thank you, Nelda. <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to a time that I can actually see you and visit you okay. in that little house. Can't yeah. wait. Bye. Hello, Flint. I hear Joan, yes. Um, I first wanted to talk a little bit about your saying that it was a courageous act to um, sit. Yes. Um, and the best way I see that is with the Sangha members I know who have young families and are in the midst of their careers and that they still sit, have the courage to sit. And I never had the courage then. Mm. I had to wait till some of my plate was clear because I was so afraid that if I dropped any of those balls or set them aside for just a second, then I could never put them back together. Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot of courage to say, I can take time out and try to clear my mind and try mm -hmm. to go that, that deeper wisdom. And yeah. I just have such tremendous respect for yeah. our people And you're doing a good job of just describing an example of what I'm talking about. You had a fear-based narrative mm -hmm. that was the hindrance. Yes. If I drop this, I'll never pick it back up. I'll, you know, and so that stopped you. But at some point you did. Yeah. And everybody has their time and everybody has whatever it requires to turn them uh, toward toward practice and every time all times are good times <laughs> to turn toward practice yes i think you you may have heard this story before but i'll repeat it because i think there are many who haven't um, i was talking once about worrying that I had not started early enough in practice and seeing all these young people doing what I didn't think I could do and being very uh, um, inspired by them. And we were in one of our retreats. You were probably there at Lotus Lake. And um, I was involved in an inquiry session like this with a young man who I think at that time was like 26 years old. And there was an older fellow in about 70. Yeah. Remember this? You were there and he he said afterwards watching this beautiful thing that unfolded with the young man he said oh my gosh i wish i had started when i was your age i didn't start till i was in my 50s and the young man looked at him and said you got by with it until you're in your 50s <laughs> in other words whatever brings us to our knees <laughs> so that we have to practice in some ways and so it may not seem like courage but that's that vulnerable entry point that i was talking about and if we turn that into an opportunity and instead of something to guard against, and we see the examples all around us of what it means to not be willing to face the vulnerability and the fear, but instead uh, the, the rage and the anxiety and everything that's an antidote to it and how much more um, uh, suffering that it causes. So, and I, I, I take deeply your appreciation for those who have the courage and I've seen your own courage in the face of what brought you to deeper practice, and it it was tremendous. Thank you. Sometimes <clears throat> we're nudged by things, like in Joan's case and some other cases, where it's literally a life and death situation. But what we forget is it's always life and death. That's always the situation. Lori. Hi there. I now see you <laughs> and hear you. Yeah, I, uh, if there's four squares up here, it's kind of odd. There you go. <clears throat> now you're featured. I see you big. 
Um, so I appreciate your introduction. Um, so I, I have um, recently realized, you know, we come in with our, our secret practice or why we entered and and my original one was this thing about <clears throat> I wanted some internal peace. And, and so time has gone by and I kind of, I mean, I still think that would be nice, but I'm not so focused on it. Now it's, <laughs> it's evolved into something else, which I've just realized um, is ridiculous. And, and, that, and that is um, relief. I want relief, which is maybe the same sort of thing. And so I've realized how ridiculous that is. I mean, um, relief from what? Oh, you know, relief from life as it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're 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 in a good crowd. That's good. I mean, yeah, all, so, all of our all of our practices would fall into that larger bowl in some way, and it shows itself in different ways. Like you said, at first it was this, and then it's this. And as we negotiate our way to the ultimate kind of release, you know. Well, so here's the here's what's been kind of going on. Is this? Um, I mean, I've, I've realized that, and 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 said, well, you know. What I really think is the things that are still issues that are constant issues seem to be the things that I've had my whole life, you know. Yep. And, and so it really hasn't changed. Um, and so I think, where can I put this, you know? And I know I've heard you say more than once about taking refuge, and and I. Um, uh, when I was really thinking hard about that, it, it, it wasn't helping. And um, I mean, I know what my, I have a faith, you know, but it's, it just, it just didn't, wasn't helping with the pain. And so, so then I sat down and I said, well, okay, well, what, what are the, um, you know, the repentance, which that word bothers me for something. I guess it bothers me because of, I don't know, Christianity or something, but um and so I kind of went through those a lot more carefully, and um, and that was actually helpful, um, in in the sense of um, there are these things in our lives that are that are difficult to bear, and that's the first noble truth. Yeah. No, that won't change. Right, and so um, and. And so I know the clinging aspect, but I'm wondering, you know, what does that really look like? You know, not what clinging. What look like the not clinging? Yeah. What does that really? What does that really look like? So, so, so this is this has just been my thinking. I'm explaining your think, my thinking to you, and 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 that's where the the idea of renunciation came in. Was you know surrendering this? You know, this is something that that's that that is, and and. I've actually seen you embody it over time, uh, because if we remember, like you said, through practice, you don't suddenly go up to the counter and get issued some new life. It's like, oh, it's the same old one. <laughs> I have the same parents, I have the same history, I have the same brothers, I have the same mother, it's the same, you know, but your orientation to them has changed remarkably. Doesn't mean you're without discomfort at times, but a lot of times you now say, you know, this is the way it is, and I do my best. And sometimes I get caught, and sometimes I don't. But you have a much more balanced way because you have let go of all the things you thought should be different. Yeah, that's the well, embodiment of exactly what you're talking about. I guess that it, that what bothers me is that. Um, how I can feel very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, clear of those things. Yes. And then to fall so deeply back the other direction into the heap, you know? 
Yeah, if we had a different kind of view where we could see everybody, I would ask everybody to raise their hands if they did that, and every hand would go up. And that's why we, for example, the simple practice of counting the exhalations and coming back to one because we lose it, that's you know just a small analogy of that's how it goes. Yeah. I've also seen you over time, and I've practiced with you long enough to know that you open to spaces that are a bit more free longer. You don't get caught for as long. Mm -hmm. This is this is as good as it gets. Yeah. We began we begin to assist each other, and especially when we're not just focused on ourselves all the time. Well, you know what I I think that's a good point because a lot of this. Um, the reason why it's so painful for me is I take this stuff on as if it were true. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, That's the, the views, right? Yeah. It, it's this thing where I, I feel so battered down by particular individuals and, and I believe what they, what they're dishing out, you know, and that's, how do you, how do you notice that you believe it? Because I get so crushed. Well, um, but I'm saying a different thing. That's the end point. But there is also part of your awareness is watching and you say, oh, I'm believing this. Oh, yeah. There is a part that's free of it. And that's what you take refuge in. Not as a way of being dissociated or something. Right, Everything yeah, is still okay. there. But you remember, oh, I'm watching this happen. You're, it's not, you're not just totally in it. There's a part of you that's seeing, oh, I see that I'm caught. Now you have a choice. And that's what practice allows us, a choice. Wakefulness yeah. offers opportunity for choice. Yeah. Instead of just being, you know, when Dogen said, you know, ordinary people are pulled by karma, bodhisattvas are led by vows, like you have choice. Right. And when you're going to be teaching on the 12-fold chain and the liberation direction, the other direction, that's what you're going to be teaching. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Never figured it out past. <laughs> yeah, and you know this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do. I uh, I just get surprised sometimes. I really do. I know. Well, <laughs> when the situations around us are so dramatic as they've been recently with uh, the pandemic and the political stuff and just everything around us, um, it's easy to be swamped. Context does matter. Yeah. Being courageous and fearless doesn't mean you're untouched but it means you don't drown in the tyranny of your own reactivity to everything that's happening. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for walking through that with me. Of um, course, of course. And thank you for one of the strengths I think that you offer as a teacher is your willingness to be transparent without indulging. Uh, I hope you indulge the stuff, but you're transparent with it. At, with your own struggles and then you see your way through and I see when you're with others when you're in my seat and you express and that and you're not caught in those stories as much because you're focused on the other yeah well and I I've, think that's one of your, your strengths is to be transparent without indulging your feelings yeah I I was fortunate to enough this weekend to um, be able to do a Dharma talk and there's something about sitting there for the hour and a half before and then giving a talk where this was dispelled that's yeah. right that's all yeah. that avalokiteshvara is talking about in those few lines and and so actually i'm on a, at a better place right now than i've been for a while i, I think i'm on the other side of it but but still the, the quandary about the journeys it's, I'm, I'm verbally I, I need to externalize it sometimes just yes so. and that's your 12-fold chain so you're going to go deeper into it so <laughs> It's true. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Thanks. Lori. Mm -hmm. What I was saying to Lori about being transparent or being vulnerable, um, that being human without indulging is an important practice, Edge. So. Hello, Chris. Like he's on his way. Are you there, Chris? I see your name, but I don't hear you or see you. There he comes. For it's some reason, walk. that's always a slow process at my end. It's a long walk. To the <laughs> <laughs> 
Good to see you, Flint. It's great to see you. Your story about Blanche Hartman reminded me of a question that I've had for a long time. How does one know when they found the right teacher? Your style is very harmonious for me. I've met a lot of teachers where that's not the case. And I thought of this because I was imagining myself with Blanche and, ooh, that's very confrontive. Um, and it was not like she normally was. Oh, all right. Okay, well. That's why I told you, it was kind of surprising. Well, then that's the first problem is I made an assumption there. Um, <laughs> um, so, I, I've met a lot of teachers who have a style that to me is harsh or, or even judging, yeah. you know, problematic for me. And I don't know if that particular teacher would work for me. And this is one of these questions where I feel like I'm, I know what you're going to say, but I'm asking it anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, you don't want <laughs> a lot of people choose a teacher who embodies and recreates the very struggles they had with their parents or, or other authority figures to see if they can work it out. I don't know if that's always the best way to do it. Uh, and others will choose a teacher that's sort of the antidote, the uh, I, I, someone that's the, the missed part of, if you want to say, good parenting, good leadership, good mentoring that they didn't get or some of the best of what they've seen in their life. They, they, that's like you said, it's something that's resonant. Uh, unfortunately, there are times when people will choose someone because of reputation or authority, but it actually doesn't fit them. And I've seen a few of my friends who chose teachers who are quite well known and have a great reputation, <clears throat> but they essentially re-traumatize the student because of the way they um, I'm wagging my finger here, the way that they, they were towards them. And they thought that was in the service of the Dharma, but sometimes actually it's not. Maybe that's not the best thing. Any teacher is going to present different challenges yeah. for me. And so <clears throat> a teacher like that who doesn't who seems to me to have hard edges that I have problems with. That's a practice opportunity. Yeah. If you see it that way and don't take it as another part of your conditioning. Right. So. What's your deepest question in it, in this? I've, I've never really figured out what that is for me, so I'm reaching. <clears throat> what I heard in the beginning is that the basic question we all have is how do you choose a teacher? Yeah. I mean, it's some version of that. And then you elaborated on various things. But Is there a best kind of teacher for me? And how would I know? I don't think you can answer it at that level. All right. Yeah. I think that it, it comes through experience. It's, uh, this is a little cheeky to say it this way, but in the photography world, they say, what's the best camera? The one you have with you. <laughs> the one you have that you can use because it's sure. the one you have. Right. It's, it's, it's not quite that simplistic, I know, but there's that. So if um, the teacher is a five-year-old you meet on the sidewalk, that's, you know, or a 90-year-old grandmother or whatever it is, that's the old image, then you, if you're open to the teachings and you're willing to be taught, then there are teachers everywhere. If you have a, what they call you, a root teacher or ordination teacher, or, you know, a, a main teacher that you're committed to, that evolves over time, uh, but usually with some experimentation then to see what calls you. And it's a little mysterious. I don't think it's something you can figure out. It's all mysterious. Yeah, but if it, if, <laughs> If that teacher helps you do the things that you want practice, that you understand practice to be, does it free your mind? Does it open your heart? Does it allow you to go beyond yourself? Okay. If that person invites that, 
then that's a person you might want to hang with for a while and see if see if in fact it's true all right i think there's my answer yeah and and uh, do you feel i'm not i'm not trying to co-op this in the least do you feel some of that happening as we talk with us between yes bet both between you and me and also as i think about some other teachers that i've met yeah, I'm just like I said. I'm not trying to take a central position, sure. but because we're here right now, right? And you say, "Oh, okay," because you've come to me over and over, so I'm I'm in the list, you know. There, right. so uh, so we just pay attention to what's happening. Is this relationship helping you open to be a larger container for life in the ways that you believe that the practices are helping you, and is it nudging you in some of your edges? And as a person assisting you in meeting those edges in a way that's wholesome and not unwholesome, even if it's hard. Okay. Mm -hmm. I get that. Great. All right. All right. What does your shirt say? It's the... It's the American way. <laughs> and, and the, let's see. The speech bubble. Well, where is it? Oh, yeah. it's, it's at the top. I'd like some more things, please. <laughs> That's good. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Flynn. And I see that there are some other folks that have their hands raised, but I also see that we're at the end of our time. Uh, so if we're blessed to have another meeting next week, maybe we'll be able to connect again. We're certainly blessed to have this one. Uh, so let's do our the four practice principle chant together, please. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. A deep appreciation for your returning and look forward to us continuing forward in this year. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported by your generosity and your generosity makes such a difference. Thank you so much. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can do so online at appamata.org. And hopefully uh, you will now head over to the after inquiry link on the calendar and join Maria and others uh, for a discussion. Thank you. <laughs>